good woman is hard to find and worth far more than diamonds. Her husband trusts her without reserve and never has reason to regret it. Never spiteful, she treats him generously all her life long. She shops around for the best yarns and cottons and enjoys knitting and sewing. She's like a trading ship that sails to faraway places and brings back exotic surprises. She's up before the dawn, preparing breakfast for her family and organizing her day. First thing in the morning, she dresses for work, rolls up her sleeves, eager to get started. She senses the worth of her work, is in no hurry to call it quits for the day. She looks over a field and buys it. Then, with money she's put aside, plants a garden. She's skilled in the crafts of home and hearth, diligent in homemaking. She doesn't worry about her family when it snows. Their winter clothes are all mended and ready to wear. She makes her own clothing and dresses in colorful linens and silks. Her clothes are all well-made and elegant, and she always faces tomorrow with a smile. When she speaks, she has something worthwhile to say, and she always says it kindly. She keeps an eye on everyone in her household and keeps them all busy and productive. Her children respect and bless her. Her husband joins in with words of praise. Many women have done wonderful things, but you, you've outclassed them all. Charm can mislead and beauty soon fades. The woman to be admired and praised is the woman who lives in the fear of God. And that's what we're here to do today is to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ who he is, and to take time to praise and to celebrate moms, those who invest so much into us, who help cultivate character and lead us to become the people whom God has called us to be. Today's a day of celebration and a day of thanksgiving for moms who pour so much into her. And so I want to take some time now to just to pray over moms and grandmothers and those who have done so much for us. But see, today, like today, can also be a very difficult day for those who, for whatever reason, are unable to have children. Maybe your children have gone astray or maybe they've even passed away. So I want us to take time now to remind us of why we gather. It's the Lord Jesus, that he knows and he cares for us. He knows what you're going through in your life right now, and he wants to meet with you even now through his word. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you and praise you that you have fearfully and wonderfully made us, all of us, inside the wombs of our mothers. And we thank you, O God, for the women who pour so much into us and prepare us for life. Often, Lord, of what they do, it goes unseen by the world. It's uneven recognized by so many, but not by you. Lord, you know and you see and you care for these women. We pray, God, your richest blessing upon them today. May today they hold more tightly to the Lord Jesus.
but they find their complete joy, hope, and identity in Christ. May today be a day of rest, both physically and spiritually, resting in the finished work of Jesus for us at the cross. Father, we do want to pray for those who are hurting today, that they have yet to have children, or Lord, they have lost children, or children who have gone astray. Oh God, would you minister to them today? Would you bless them and comfort them? Remind them, Lord, that you are near and you love them and you are with them no matter what. Thank you for your kindness to us in Jesus. And we pray, oh God, that even now you would open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds to your word. Word of God, speak. That's what we desire. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm so grateful for the investment of so many women into my life. Not only as I think about my own mom and grandparents and my wife, but also the women even amongst this congregation who speak words of life and encouragement, who, who pray for me and, and pray for my family, who shepherd and shape us in the words of life and encouragement that you pour into me and into my family. It's amazing how God uses women to have impact on their world for Jesus. God uses all of us, but even today when we take times to celebrate moms and how they care so deeply for their children, I want us to see today that who you are matters. Your character matters, women. And that is the point that the proverb writer is making in Proverbs chapter 31. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs 31. We're taking a one-week break from our series through the book of First Peter, and we're going to take some time now to speak into the life of women. However, what we're going to be studying today is true for all believers who are followers of Jesus. We see back in 1 Kings chapter 3 that Solomon has now become king over Israel, and God shows up to him in a dream. And he says, Solomon, ask for anything and it is yours. So let me ask you, what would you ask for? If God said, you can have anything in the whole wide world, just name it and it's yours, what would you choose? Well, for Solomon, he chose wisdom. And God said, well, because you have chosen wisdom, I will not only give you wisdom, but I'm also going to give you what you did not ask for. I'm going to give you long life. I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to give you victory over your enemies. And you are going to surpass every king on planet earth. And so as a wise man of God, early in his leadership of Israel, we see that even in 1 Kings 4, that Solomon was a man who spoke more than 3,000 Proverbs in his life. Now the book of Proverbs, the majority of it is wisdom of Solomon that he is teaching to his son. He is seeking to raise up, he is seeking to train the next generation to walk with the Lord, to make wise choices, and what parent does not want that? And so the book of Proverbs is his teaching of short statements of principles that he is seeking to invest and to lead his son to walk in. Now, if you're a teenager today, Proverbs is written, there's a sense in which it's written particularly for you. It talks about the, the direction of your life and the, the choices that you make and the influence and impact that your choices have on the rest of your life. 
Throughout this book, Solomon distinguishes between two paths, the path of wisdom and the path of foolishness. The path of wisdom leads to life. The path of foolishness leads to death. So as one who has to make a choice, here he is inciting, he is inviting, he is challenging you, choose life, choose the path of wisdom. Well, the way that you find wisdom, according to chapter 1, verse 7, begins with fear of the Lord. If you want to be a man or woman of wisdom, it begins with fearing the Lord. You must have a personal knowledge of God, a personal relationship with the Lord, and that is where wisdom begins. You cannot be wise apart from fearing the Lord. Well, for us who live on this side of the cross in redemptive history, we know that fearing the Lord begins with Jesus. It comes to the point in which you trust in him, you give your life to Christ, and the fear of the Lord begins with Jesus. It is through him that you gain a knowledge of God. And so wisdom for us begins at the cross. And what we see as the whole point of Proverbs is this. Jesus is the true and better Solomon. Jesus is the wisdom of God. You see, Proverbs is not just a good motivational book with these little principles and and quips that you can frame and put on your desk, although you can do that. These are not just really good thoughtful statements that you hang up on a doctor's office uh, wall. What we have throughout the book of Proverbs is that Proverbs is pointing us somewhere. Proverbs is pointing us to someone. And Proverbs is pointing us ultimately to someone who has a Galilean accent. Proverbs is pointing us to Jesus. Ultimately, it's about Christ, who alone is the one who kept Proverbs and all that it contains. He lived it perfectly, and he shows us the way of wisdom. So this morning, before you go to brunch, before you go out and, 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 and go eat somewhere, which, by the way, if you're going out to eat, tip well if you're a believer in Jesus, okay? Don't tell them you know Jesus if you're a poor tipper. It's a bad witness, Tip well. Before we go do that, I don't want you to read this text and feel law upon your shoulders. Women in particular. I don't want you walking off this campus saying, great, seven more things I have to add to my to-do list. That's not Solomon's point here. The, The point here is not to give you more things you have to do. The point is to drive you to a bloodstained cross. And when you come to Jesus, the one who perfectly kept Proverbs 31 on your behalf, and as one who fears the Lord, who trusts in Jesus, it is then that he empowers you by the Spirit to live this out. So Proverbs must be read in light of Jesus. It's not primarily a list of morals that we are to keep, but rather the Proverbs reveal the character of Christ. Jesus alone fulfills and keeps this word perfectly. And yet, when we have a covenant relationship with God through faith in Jesus, we we trust in him, we confess, Jesus, you are Lord. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again on the third day. I'm now banking my life upon 
on you. It is there that the Spirit of God comes into your heart. He transforms you, and he begins to conform you into the image of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's purpose is to make you like Christ. So today, don't fear this big law that is now being placed upon your shoulders. That's not the point of the text. The text this morning is driving us to Jesus, and through him, the character of God begins to cultivate by the Spirit of God. But Proverbs 31, we're introduced to a man named King Lemuel. Now, we're not entirely sure who this guy is, but Jewish tradition holds up that it's another name for Solomon, so it very well could be. But this is the only time his name is mentioned in all the Bible, but what we do know is chapter 31 is a gathering of wise statements given to him by his mom. Look at Proverbs 31, verse 1. It says, the words of King Lemuel, a pronouncement that his mother taught him. So moms, if you have a journal that you pull out and you're writing down wisdom that you want your kids to know and to love and to follow and on their 16th or 18th birthday or on their wedding day, you you give it to them, that's what this is. This is King Lemuel's mom writing down what he is to be looking for in a wife. This is the kind of woman that you are to be pursuing. So here we see in the text, beginning in verse 10, Lemuel's mother begins to describe how a wife, how a mother, how a woman of God brings glory to God by being a woman of character. Now, if you're here this morning and you're a single woman, I want you to hear me. Proverbs 31 casts before you the character of Christ that you are to pursue by his grace. This is a roadmap of who you are to become in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a single man, Proverbs 31 lays before you the character of the type of wife that you are to pursue. In fact, this is King Lemuel's mama's point. She's saying, son... I want you to marry the right woman. This is what she looks like. Okay, so, so the one you're looking for, it's not about her bank account. It's not about her body type. It's about the godly life that she leads. Notice in the text, seven marks of a godly woman. The first is this. She is trustworthy. Look at verse 10. Who can find a wife of noble character? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will not lack anything good. She rewards him with good, not evil, all the days of her life. The question is asked, verse 10, who can find a wife of noble character? The question does not mean she doesn't exist. What the question means is she's hard to find. She's a rare little critter, as they say in Texas. It's hard to find this woman. As one peruses the culture around them and they see the character of the women around them, here is King Lemuel's mom saying, boy, choose wisely. This this woman of character, she is hard to find. But when you find her, verse 11, her husband trusts in her because she's a woman of noble character. Proverbs 12.4 says, a wife of noble character is her husband's crown. Proverbs 19.14 says, A house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Husbands, if the Lord has given you a godly woman as your wife, stop and thank God. 
praise and thank him for who he has provided for you. This week, as I was preparing for this message, I was at a desk, and I just had to stop and just say, Lord, thank you for giving me a godly woman as my wife. What a precious gift you have given to me. You see, there is nothing better than being in a covenant marriage relationship than with someone who loves and follows Jesus, who's cultivating the godly character of Christ. You see, as you're seeking out the, the woman or the man that God is calling you to marry, study them like you're studying for the ACT, okay? Examine them with a fine-tooth comb. You see, just because someone says they're a Christian does not mean that they are in Christ. Just because someone goes to church, it does not mean they are in Christ. You examine their character. You watch their life. Who are they when no one is watching? How do they handle money? How do they treat their parents? Do they honor their mother and their father? Do they make wise choices? Are they growing in godliness? Do they hunger for his word? Do they thirst for God himself? If the person that you are seeking to marry does not cultivate the character of Christ, then this is not the person you are to lock arms with. You watch their life and their doctrine. You seek out godly counsel of others who can look in on the relationship and you heed their advice. You listen to what other people are saying who love you and know you the best. Those who love and follow Jesus, they're walking in wisdom. They have a word. Why? Because she must be a woman who is trustworthy. He must be a man of character. That's the point this woman is driving home to her son, saying it matters who she is. You see, character matters is not just a slogan for some politician to steal. Character matters should be the very heartbeat of marriages, homes, and churches. That we are to be people marked by the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this woman who is, a, is to have a character that is trustworthy, and by the way, that is her legacy. Hear me today. Your greatest legacy is not the money or land you leave to next generations. Your greatest legacy is the godly character you model before watching eyes. Your investment is not primarily financial, it's spiritual. You are directing your children to Jesus. That is what you leave behind. That is your greatest legacy. And so therefore, give your life not just to accumulating wealth, give your life to cultivating godliness. So the woman of character, number one, she is trustworthy. But I want you to see that number two, that she is a hard worker. She's a hard worker. Look at the text here in verse 13. It says, she selects wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the merchant ships bringing her food from far away. She rises while it is still night and provides food for her household and portions for her female servants. She evaluates a field and buys it. She plants a vineyard with her earnings. She draw, draws on her strength and reveals that her arms are strong. She sees that her profits are good and her lamp never goes out at night. She extends her hands to the spinning staff and her hands hold the spindle. Fast forward with me to verse 27. 
She watches over the activities of her household and is never idle. You see, the woman of character, she's not afraid to work. She's industrious. She is diligent. She is productive. She works hard to make sure that her family is well-clothed, well-fed, and well-provided for. She works with her hands. She plants vineyards. She gathers food, and she watches the budget. She is, she's not marked by laziness or, or slothfulness. Proverbs at times will refer to a lazy person as a sluggard or a, a slacker. Proverbs 26.14 says, As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Not so the woman of character. She's not a woman who is lazy or slothful, but she takes pleasure in creating something that is useful and of beauty. According to the text, she's thrifty and business savvy. She's competent and she puts forth hard work for the benefit of her family. She models Jesus, who was never lazy. He was never slothful and he was never a slacker, but he, he worked hard for the glory of God. So this woman of character, she works hard for the glory of God. Number three, we see that she is generous. She's generous. Look at verse 20. The text says about this godly woman that she cares about her community. He says, her hands reach out to the poor and she extends her hands to the needy. She cares for her community, verse 20. She loves her neighbor as herself. You see, compassion and generosity are marks of this woman of character. She cares for the poor and needy, and she works for the good of her community. What we see within this woman is that she keeps her eyes open for others in need. She is rich just as God has been rich towards us in Jesus. You see, God gave us his best, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. He who is rich became poor, so that we who are poor might become rich. The generosity of God in the gospel is what propels this woman of God to be generous and compassionate towards others. When she sees all that God has done for her in the gospel, it compels her to want to go out and care for the poor and needy, to look out for those who are forgotten and left behind. This is a woman of God who seeks out the benefit of others before herself, just as God has done for her in Christ. Number four, she is confidence. She's confident. Look at verse 21. She is not afraid for her household. When it snows, for all in her household are doubly clothed. Look at verse 25. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she can laugh at the time to come. So verse 21, there's no fear of cold. Verse 25, no fear of the future. You see, she can face the future with confidence. When it snows, she doesn't panic. She knows that she has worked hard for the good of her family, and they are double-clothed. They are well taken care of. If I had a nickel for every time it was above the degrees of 90 degrees outside, my mom says, put on a jacket. Why did she always say that? Because she cared for me. And she worked hard to make sure that I was always warm and safe and well taken care of. 
Those are good, godly desires that the Lord has put in the hearts of women to nurture and to care and to raise up future generations into the way of Jesus. Because of this woman's character, she's so solid because of her, her trust in the Lord. She doesn't fear the future. Now, she's, she's confident. Now, she's not arrogant, but she's confident. You see, confidence is one of God's good gifts that he gives to you in the gospel. Because your identity is not wrapped up in what your body looks like in a mirror or in a bathing suit. Your identity is not wrapped up in what people say on Facebook, giving their highlight reel instead of reality. You see, people's identity is not wrapped up on their income and what other people say about you. Your identity is in Christ. So everything that's true about Jesus now applies to you through faith in Christ. So his death is your death. Therefore, you're forgiven. His resurrection is your resurrection. Therefore, you are raised with him. In fact, the scriptures say that you are seated in the heavenlies, in the mind of God, already there, ruling and reigning. That's who you are. You are adopted. You're forgiven. You are redeemed. You have an inheritance. God says you are an heir of the throne of God. That is who you are. You are not defined by what the world says. You're defined by who Jesus says you are. And you belong to him. Therefore, in Christ, your confidence is in him. You're not worried about what other people think about you because it doesn't matter what other people think. It matters what the Lord thinks. And he says, you're mine. And I love you. And I gave my son for you. And you belong to, be, to me both now and forever. You have nothing to fear. You can have confidence. You don't have to be afraid about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. The Lord is already there. You trust him, and you have nothing to be afraid of. Your identity is in Christ. You can have confidence, afraid of nothing. This is a gift that God has given to you in Jesus. He has given you his best. He has given you his son. And he has made a way for you to march forth in victory, afraid of nothing. You don't have to be afraid of cold days or what's going to happen when the air conditioning breaks, when the plumbing falls apart. What happens if someone loses their job and we're not able to make our mortgage? The Lord says, no, 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 no. Don't be afraid. Have confidence because of who I am in your life. You see, as a woman of God, you can laugh at the days to come afraid of nothing. She has confidence. Number five, she speaks wisdom. Verse 26, the text says here that her mouth speaks wisdom and loving instruction is on her tongue. This woman of God, she is, she's wise with her words. She does not fill her mouth with slanderous accusations, with juicy gossip. She does not seek to uh, speak curse words. Her mouth overflows with joy in words of truth because she has the Lord in her heart. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of here comes from here. We know what's happening in here based about what's coming out of here. 
And so the woman who is trusting in the Lord by his grace, he's changing her character, conforming her into the image of Jesus. And as she is banking and trusting in Jesus, he then begins to overflow out of her mouth. So what people type on social media, you know what's happening right here. You see out there what's happening in here. That's the point Jesus makes in the Gospels. Well, here we see the woman of God is a woman who speaks wisdom. When Christy and I were dating, I was extremely immature. I was often a guy who was always trying to make people laugh. I watched a lot of movies, and so I would use movie quotes all the time and just always trying to you know, make people laugh and be the center of attention and be the big funny guy. And then one afternoon, Christy asked me this question. She said, do you want to be known as someone who's funny or someone who is wise? And that question was like a punch in the stomach, and I needed it. And from that moment, I began to be shaped by this idea that I want to be defined by someone who's wise. Now, can you be funny and wise? Absolutely. Yes, you can. Laughter is good medicine for the soul. It is good to be, to be funny, but not to the neglect of wisdom. And at that moment, I began to identify, and this, this might be my wife right here. Oh, snap. I need to get my act together. <laughs> it's time for me to grow up. You see, I want to become a man who is mature and godly, who is known for wisdom, not just for the sake that he can quote all these movies. That was a, a, a refining moment for me. But you see, the woman of God, she uses her words and out comes wisdom. She speaks truth. She speaks words of life and encouragement. So as you are almost on a daily basis playing referee between kids who are fighting, it's in moments like that you're able to leverage your words, your influence, your authority, and you speak into the situation. You direct your children in the way of truth and wisdom. When they start going to the way of foolishness, you speak truth and life and encouragement and say, no, no, don't go that way. We're going to go this way. This is the way of Jesus. This is the path that we as a family, we're going to walk together. This is a woman who speaks words of wisdom. Sixthly, she deserves praise. Verse 28 she watches over the activities of her household and is, excuse me, that's verse 27. Verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. Many women have done noble deeds, but you surpass them all. You see, moms, so much of what you do goes unnoticed. The world and the culture around us mocks what you do. Having children is something to be loathed and avoided instead of, as what God says, is a blessing. So much of what you do goes unnoticed by so many in the world around us, but not by the Lord. The Lord knows. He sees. He will one day reward you for your daily faithfulness in doing the small things. Because when it comes to changing diapers and preparing meals and folding laundry, you ask the question, is this what my life has come to? But I want you to know God sees great value in that. And what you do is ultimately not for man, but it's ultimately for the Lord. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. He says, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for who? 
the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You are serving the Lord Christ. So when you're changing diapers and cleaning up spilled milk and breaking up fights and cooking dinner and folding laundry and helping with homework, the Lord knows, the Lord sees, and the Lord will one day reward you. The world may scoff at that type of living, but the Lord says, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Someone who brings order to the chaos, just as God in Christ brings order to the chaos. You are bringing a foretaste of the new kingdom here on earth when you are at the dinner table and you are saying, don't you dare smack your brother again. We say that a lot at our house. Okay, there's a sense in which, moms, what you do matters. And so if you don't hear it from anywhere else, hear it from your pastor. I am so proud of you. The work that you do pouring into your children matters. And though no one else may see it, the Lord does. And the Lord sees how you care and how you teach, how you encourage and how you instruct. He sees how you do the things that nobody else sees, but he does. And he promises one day I'm going to reward you. I'm going to celebrate how you have labored so diligently and faithfully. So moms, grandmothers, thank you. Thank you for all you do. It doesn't go unnoticed. Ultimately, it goes unnoticed because God sees. He knows. And he will one day reward you. And so you work and you carpool and you cook and you clean and you discipline and you snuggle for the glory of God. That's your why. You see, moms, your work is worship when you serve your family for the glory of God. Don't miss that. You see, everything you do is for the glory of God. Your work is not first for your husband. Your work is not first for your children. Your work is first for the Lord Jesus Christ. You work, you labor for the glory of God. And so when you're wiping snotty noses and you're taking kids to soccer practice and you are serving, you're doing so not for the glory of anyone but for the glory of Jesus. And when you labor for his glory, work becomes worship. It's no longer a burden. It's no longer a deal where you're like, you have to do this. It's a joy. This changes your perspective because you work for the glory of the Lord. You're working for him. And so when you get that spit up all over your dress, you can rejoice. Because you're laboring for the Lord. You see, moms, when you realize that all that you do for the Lord, you begin to realize your greater purpose. And it's the glory of God. You have a crystal clear why when you mother, when you grandmother, when you parent, and ultimately it's the glory of God. You want to make much of Jesus in and through what you do. And when the glory of God is your focus, you work with joy. It's no longer a burden. But you see, you are also liberated from comparing yourself to other moms. You see, when you play the comparison game, you lose every time. That's a principle for life. No matter when you start comparing something and you put yourself in the middle of it, you're going to lose. 
Because if you see yourself and your identity and you're like, boy, we're doing a whole lot better than they are, you get prideful. When you start looking at someone else and you're like, boy, we are not anywhere as good as they are, you get to the point where you become self-deprecating. So now there's a sense in which, because your identity is in Jesus, your comparison is no longer based upon how you fit in with everybody else. You're not comparing who you are based upon other people's highlight reel on their Facebook. You're finding your identity in Jesus and who he says you are. And then you can become content with whom God has placed in your life. You see, the one who placed the stars in the sky and calls them each by name, sovereignly put your kids in your family. He is the one who gave you your children. You don't have to say, oh, if I could only have so-and-so. No, 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 no. The Lord knows. He sovereignly put kids in your life so that you might raise them up to follow him. Now, can I give you moms a liberating statement? There are thousands of moms who are better than you are. Let that liberate you. There are thousands of dads, dads, who are better than you. Can I tell you, there are thousands of pastors that are better than I am. I can give you a lot of their names, but I'm not. It's a joy to be here and to love you. But the Lord has not called all those other men. He's called me. And the Lord has not called all these other women. He's called you. God is the one who's given you your children. He is the one who sovereignly gave you those children. He's the one who's given you these kids to raise up for his glory. And so as you labor, remember, God is the one who gave you the children that you have. Don't play the comparison game. You will lose. Your heart will not find contentment in Christ when you're comparing yourself to everyone else. Therefore, I want you to know, you women who are serving as mothers and grandmothers, you're laboring valiantly. Keep going. Keep being faithful. So for you husbands and fathers and children and grandchildren, praise them. Thank them for what they do. One of God's good gifts to me is every Monday, I get to sit down at 8 o'clock with my ministry assistant. Her name is Barbara Singrinelli, and she is a wise, godly woman. And often when she starts talking, I close my mouth and I just start taking notes because she just, she speaks Proverbs and wisdom and it's so good. Well, this week as I'm thinking about this message and we're talking about encouragement, she said these words. She said, Kenneth, an encouraging word is better than flowers. And I thought, boy, that's good right there. She'll write my sermons for me if I let her. <laughs> hey, y'all, this is an easy layup you can hit. Encourage those around you. This week I received on the same day two encouraging notes. And when I read them, I felt like I could fly. It was like someone put like a spiritual heart transplant in, inside of me. And I thought, I can do this. Thank you, God. I'm ready to run. I can go farther and faster. You know what's great about encouragement? It's free. It doesn't cost you a dollar. But it's an easy way that you can speak words of praise and affirmation and encouragement into those whom God has placed in your life. So let me encourage you. Praise them.
Seventh characteristic is that she fears the Lord. You look at verse 30, charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. As a woman of God, you're pursuing Jesus. You're growing in godliness daily. You're studying his word. You're praying. You're seeking his face. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. You want to obey the Lord. You fear him. You know him. You love him. He is your first love. He is your why. This is why you move forward every day. The woman delights in, in, in his commands. They're a joy. They're sweeter than honey. She fears the Lord. But she also gives her life to training the next generation for the Lord. You see, don't miss this. The mother's primary responsibility is to point her children to Jesus. That's your job description. This is what you do. This is what the task that God has placed in front of you. And this is her number one responsibility. God's calling for you is to nurture and train your children to be disciples of Jesus. This is what you labor for. Now, this task is painful, it's exhausting, it's exasperating, it's thankless, and yet the rewards are eternal. This is what you give your life to. You see, when you have given your life to Jesus and you see what he's done for you in the gospel, there's no greater joy than to giving your life to making much of him in every part of your life. So let me ask you, how are you doing, moms? Do you see these seven things and you're like, oh my goodness, I got a long way to go? That's good news because we all do. But the good news of the gospel is that these seven characteristics are showing us how far we fall short. But ultimately, it's pointing us forward to someone who kept it perfectly on our behalf. You see, Proverbs 31 is not designed to lead you to mom guilt. It's designed to lead you to the cross. Because it's at the cross, you see God the Son who takes God's wrath towards our sin and all of our failure and all of our shame. He gladly takes it. And then through trusting in Jesus, through his victorious resurrection from the grave, banking and trusting in him, that he then empowers us to go and live this out. So this, this sermon today, this text of scripture is not designed to lead you to, boy, I just feel guilty. I just can't make it. That's not the design. The design of this text is to drive you to Jesus, who perfectly keeps this for us, and yet through him, he empowers us to go and live out this. Seven characteristics of a godly woman. And you are able to do it, not on your own power, but by daily abiding in Jesus and trusting him for the grace to become the woman of God. He's created you to be in Christ. Christ.